Father in heaven, we do ask for your blessing in the preaching of your word this morning. As we consider James's writing, James's letter, a discipleship letter, a letter to teach us how to follow Jesus, how to respond to the grace that you have shown us, as you are doing that work of creating in us the family image of our Heavenly Father. We pray, O Lord, that you would do that work today as we are called and exhorted by James and throughout the rest of Scripture, the necessity of waiting patiently upon you, trusting you, looking to you, trusting you to fight our battles for us, knowing that you will make all things right. The judge of all the earth will do what is right. All things will be made right at the great judgment, if not earlier. And so we ask, O Lord, that you would grant unto us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, earlier you made a confession of faith. You recited the Apostles' Creed. That's one of the reasons why I uh, changed it on us. One of the things, if you did do that, one of the things you said was that Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. The judge is coming. Do you believe it? Did you just say the words, or did you say what you believe? You said the words, I believe in this. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is coming again as judge? If so, how does it affect your life? Is there any comfort? Is there comfort in knowing that Jesus Christ will come again to judge the living? And the, how can we be comforted by that? That's a frightening statement. Because after judgment, there is no second chance. There's no second chance after death. Well, the Heidelberg Catechism asks that question and answers it. What comfort is it to you that Christ shall come to judge the living and the dead? The answer is that in all my sorrows and persecutions, I, with an uplifted head, look for the very one who offered himself for me to the judgment of God and removed all curse from me to come as judge from heaven, who shall cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but shall take me with all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. Jesus Christ will make all things right. Whatever is going on in your life, whatever situation you're in, whatever difficulties you're facing, the temptation that we have to try to fix it, to try to be judge, jury, and executioner when somebody offends us, when somebody attacks us, talks there about persecution. We may be persecuted now. If not, I think we will be as a Christian in this country. We're going to see it more and more. To name the name of Christ is going to cost us. In all my sorrows and persecutions, I, with an uplifted head, look to the very same one who offered himself for me to the judgment of God. So do we embrace judgment? Does the Christian embrace judgment? 
Do you embrace judgment, the judgment of God? Well, do you embrace the cross? Do you embrace the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the judgment of God for sin? Do we embrace judgment? And the answer is yes. In doing so, we embrace Jesus. The natural man flees from judgment. Just think of Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned. What did they do? They went and hid themselves. They covered themselves. and That's the natural response to the judgment of God. For us, we run to judgment. We embrace judgment because in doing so, who do we embrace? Jesus. So this is the concern that James is now bringing to us. He's talking about the judgment of God. If you notice in our text, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Verse 7. You be patient, establish your hearts at the coming of the Lord, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And he speaks of judgment. Is Jesus coming back? When is he coming back? Do you know? Does anybody know? How are we to live knowing he's returning? So that's what we're going to look at today. The main point is there in the bulletin in the outline if you are following it. In the midst of various testings of our faith, which is basically the past four chapters, even into chapter five, he's been talking about the testing of our faith. We're called called the count it all joy. Uh, We must fix our eyes on the one who will come again to judge the living and the dead. Our goal is patient endurance, which is evidenced by both our words and our attitude. There was once a young man, a young Christian, who went to an older believer to ask for prayer. Is that a good thing to do? You ask for prayer from people? I hope you do. He said, will you please pray that I may be more patient? The aged saint agreed. He knelt together, and the man began to pray, Lord, send this man tribulation in the morning. Send this young man tribulation in the afternoon. Send this young man. At that point, the young Christian blurted out, No, 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 I didn't ask for you to pray for tribulation. I wanted you to pray for patience. Ah, the aged saint said to him, It's through tribulation that we learn patience. It's hard to pray that prayer, isn't it? So what happens? Where should our eyes be in life? Where should we be looking? Well, the first look, if you notice, point one in the bulletin, look up for your redemption draws near. We have been working through the book of James, and we we have to remember the original audience that received this, they were experiencing tribulation, persecution, trials and struggles amongst themselves and tax from without as well. Notice in chapter 4, verse 11, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. So there was conflicts between believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, and then we, we, we hear this exhortation to the rich in chapter 5 uh, concern that they should reap, weep and howl. We heard that last week. The idea of trusting in, in riches. 
and the oppression of the poor, the misuse of authority, the misuse of resource, resources that God has placed into our hands, and even the persecution of the poor by the rich. And so there is an exhortation, a call, a therefore in our text. Notice that in verse 7. First word in verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren. Now, you hear that. I don't know if you realize how powerful that statement is when he said, brethren. Why? Well, he's been calling his audience brethren throughout the letter, and then he stopped there in the passages that I just quoted to you. Actually, all of chapter 4, he says it once. He's been saying, brothers, brethren, brethren. He says it in verse 11, and then he stops calling them brethren. He starts rebuking them. Now he's switching to or returning to brothers, brethren, sisters, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's switching back to that. You are experiencing oppression, persecution, trials, etc. Be patient. What is he doing? He's trying to comfort them in their tribulation. And what does he say? How does he bring comfort? The Lord is coming. Judgment is coming. It may look bad now, but judgment is coming. Many years ago, there was a preacher who got up and preached a sermon, and um, he was describing the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the way that he titled his sermon is, It's Friday, but Sunday is coming. It's Friday, and he described the, the sufferings and death of Jesus Christ on Friday. But Sunday is coming. The resurrection is coming. The second coming is Jesus is coming again. He describes in verse 3 of chapter 5 that, that they were in the last days. In chapter 4, he describes the Lord as the Lord of the army, Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the army. And notice in verse 5, you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. So he's talking about a judgment that's coming, and he actually uses the language of slaughter. So what kind of, what types of judgment are there? When the Bible talks about judgment, what types are there? Well, there's actually five that I wrote down. The first one is very important, and that is personal. Personal judgment. God's judgment on individuals. Think of Herod. What happened to Herod? Herod gave an oration, and the people said, oh, it's not the voice of a man, but the voice of God, and God struck him dead. Ananias and Sapphira, what happened to them? When they lied to the Holy Spirit, they died immediately. So there is judgment that is personal. Did the Lord come back for them at that moment when they died? And the answer is yes, in one sense. Secondly, national judgment. Does God judge nations? What happened to Israel in 70 AD? 
is the nation of Israel, well, now it's back, at least the, the new structure, but did it cease to exist in 70 AD? The answer is yes. Te Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. They were scattered. What about partial judgment? Is there judgment that happens today in this world that Jesus executes from heaven? And the answer is yes, he is. Fourthly, judgment in Christ, which I just described, that's the most important, right? Do you want to be judged by Christ, in Christ, through Christ, because of what Christ has done? I want that judgment. I embrace that judgment because there is salvation. The second judgment or the last judgment won't touch me because I'm in Christ. And finally, there is the final judgment by Christ at the end of time. And so he is speaking of judgment in order to comfort us in the midst of our difficulties in this sin-cursed world and in this troubled life. The Lord is coming back. Look, the judge is standing at the door, verse 9. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. His judgment is a righteous judgment. In ourselves, in Adam, we would all perish. Right? The wages of sin is death. Have you sinned? Yes. Do you deserve death? Yes. In Adam, in myself. But he is also compassionate and merciful and he saves the wicked and judges the wicked in the process. So uh, James is saying to us, be patient. Judgment's coming. Why is that important? How does that help? Well, one of the most important things is the temptation is when somebody does me wrong, our normal temptation is to fight back. Someone slanders us. What do we do? We speak or slander back. Somebody offends us, and what do we do? We respond as judge. Is that a temptation? To say, well, Jesus, I know you're coming, and you're going to make all things right, but I'm setting that aside, and I'm going to, do, I'm going to be the judge here, and I'm going to be the executioner, and I'm going to fix the problem. Am I the only one in the congregation that has this problem? Are we tempted to play judge and executioner all the time, every day? What does James say to us? Brethren, be patient. Brethren, be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. How can you overcome the temptation to play judge? Look to Jesus. Like it says, look up for your redemption draws nigh. The second point, living in the light of the parousia. If you like that, I put in a fancy Greek word there, parousia. It means coming of the Lord. So living in light of the, the fact that Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming again. Notice point A, keeping your eye contact. The servants in of the ancient Near East were trained by their master to keep their eyes constantly on the master. Let's say it's a dinner party and all these people are being served. 
The, the servant was to watch the master at all times, to keep eye contact with the master. Because all the master had to do if there was a problem is look over there and the, and the servant said, oh, he's telling me to go and fix that problem. The master's eyes guided a good servant. Do we keep our eye contact? Part of that, how do we do that? Part of that is waiting patiently on the Lord. Part of that is trusting him. Hebrews chapter 12, a phenomenal passage of scripture. The whole book of Hebrews is about Jesus and how Jesus is so much better than everything. He says in verse 2, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Not on this jerk who just cut me off, or my brother, my sister, my father, my mother, what whoever who just offended me, and i got to fix it, I've got to respond. No, fix your eyes upon Jesus. Why? He's the beginning, the author, the one who starts it, and he's the finisher, the one that ends it. Our faith comes from him. He starts it, he's the author, he's the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He looked past the cross to the joy. Do we have that ability to do so? Looking past the cross. We read in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus walking on the water and Peter's in the boat and Peter sees Jesus walking on the water and he says, Lord, can I come out there? And he says, come on. And see, Peter starts walking on the water with Jesus what happened? Did he keep his eyes on Jesus? No, he started looking at the waves and the storm and everything else. And what happened? Down he went. The smart thing is, is he prayed the shortest prayer in the Bible. Help, Lord! And Jesus reaches out and saves him. God has called us to walk by faith, doesn't he? To trust Jesus. Notice he gives us about three or actually four different illustrations in our text. Turn back to our text. Number one, verse seven. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it, re it receives the early and latter rains. We have a friend of ours who had some wheat fields out in Taylor, and this recent storm came in and just leveled them lost all of the crops. Is there ever enough rain for a farmer? They usually say it's too much rain, not enough rain, not enough time, wrong place, wrong time, right? I, I've, never, I've never heard a farmer say it was perfect. Maybe they, they've said it, I just haven't heard it. But have you stopped and thought about it? how many of you have a garden growing this year? Some of you do, some of you don't. When you plant those seeds into the ground, you don't expect immediate results. It's weeks, months before you see even anything, right? You learn patience. You have to be patient as a farmer. I haven't done a lot of fishing lately. Part of the problem I have is, is that I don't have patience when it comes to fishing. I want to throw it out there. I want the fish to bite and re reel it in, and I'm done. Well, if you want to be a good fisherman, you have to wait for the fish to bite. And it could take hours. 
The farmer waits. He looks forward to the precious fruit after the rains, after the trials. Remember, when it comes to rain, what is the, uh, the only place on earth where it doesn't rain? Where is it the only place on earth where it doesn't rain? Well, it still rains once in a while. It's a desert. We live 20, uh, 37 years in Southern California. It's a desert. Semi-arid desert. Without rain, nothing grows. Rain comes. Trials come. And in those trials comes growth. Notice also in verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, look, the judge is standing at the door. Jesus is standing at the door. In Revelation, it says he's knocking at the door of the church. He's standing. He's there. He can come at any time. Then he goes on to say in verses 10 and 11, here's another example. Take my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Being a prophet was not the popular job of the day. Why? You spoke God's word. The people didn't like it. They killed you. It was an occupational hazard for prophets. It's not a job that you chose to do because, well, at least if you're a prophet of the Lord, they suffered patiently. Look at the prophets. And then finally, he brings in our friend Job. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. For those of you who know the book of Job, did Job ever find out, at least in the book, does he ever find out why he suffered? Did God ever tell him? The answer is no. He was rich, he was wealthy, he had children, he had everything, he lost it all, he lost his health. His best friends came and told him, you're a sinner, just confess your sin, it's all your fault. And Job is saying, no it isn't. I don't know why I'm suffering, but I'm suffering. Forty chapters of this back and forth. And finally the Lord confronts Job, and Job actually started to charge God. And God said, okay, let's have a conversation. If you can answer the next 89 questions, I will answer your question. Job couldn't answer any of them. Job said, I put my hand over my mouth. I've heard about you, but now my eyes see, and I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And God, in his mercy, restored Job to twice what he had before. That's what James is pointing to. So here are four examples of keeping proper eye contact, waiting patiently, looking to Jesus. Like the farmer waits, the judge is at the door, the prophet suffered patiently, Job persevered, and God showed him mercy. So James is saying, strengthen your hearts. Rest and wait patiently for him. Second call, second exhortation. Watch our words. Watch your words. Notice, verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Do not grumble against 
another. When we grumble, where are our eyes? When you grumble, where are your eyes? Are your eyes on Jesus or on whatever or whoever you're grumbling about? Actually, that is a blessing from God. If you have ears to hear, your mouth speaking, grumbling, you've got a problem. Your eyes are in the wrong place. Your ears are telling you that your mouth is telling you that your heart isn't right. Any of you have a, have a problem with grumbling and complaining? Do not grumble against one another. Why? The judge stands ready, is coming. In other words, we are called to live in the light of eternity. Not the now, although we are to live day by day now, but we also are aware that Jesus will make everything right. Can you complain to God? Does the Bible teach that we can complain to God? Yes or no? And the answer is yes. There's 73 psalms that are complaints to God. So David complained to God. So you can complain to God. Give him your care and your concern. He's coming and he will make right. And then notice also he says, do not swear at all. Verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by the earth or with any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall to judgment. What is he saying? Make sure your yes be yes. Your word is your bond. You grew up, your word was your bond, right? You didn't need a contract. If you said it or somebody else said it, you trusted them, right? Is that the way it is today? Do we have to have contracts, agreements, signed with a lawyer and everything else? Can you trust? Trust and verify. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. In particular, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Does that bother you when someone can freely take the Lord's name in vain? Does it bother you? At work or... I was out at the archery range this week and there was a fellow there. And Do you know what you're doing when you take the Lord's name in vain? You're, telling, you're, you're insulting the judge that's going to judge you. Do you really want to be doing that? Do not take the name in vain. Why? Because the judge is at the door. And the scripture says, or Jesus said, by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. In summary, what is James saying? Persevere. Persevere in the faith. And I'll close with a psalm. I could read the whole psalm, and I won't do that, but it is a homework assignment if you want to take it. It's Psalm 37. Psalm 37, beginning in verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. So as you say, don't be envious of people that just everything is going their way and they just get their way and everything, or they're persecuting you or whatever. He says, don't fret about it. For they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. The meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. And you can continue on reading through that psalm. So that's your homework assignment. Read Psalm 37 this week and meditate in it. I think it is a great psalm that summarizes what James... I think actually James is commenting on that psalm. So we'll close with that. Thank you very much. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you. And we thank you, Lord, for your patience with us. That the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. And so, Lord, we pray that you would enable us to wait patiently, learn to wait patiently, to trust you, to rest in you, to rest in Jesus, to look to you, keep our eyes fixed upon you. We ask for your grace and enable us to do so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.